0: Good morning. Let's begin with prayer. Well, Lord, as you know, there's uh, nothing good that lives in me, and even though your words are spirit and they are life, um, unless um, unless you breathe these words of scripture we're opening today into us, we will have darkness rather than light because we love darkness rather than light you have saved us out of darkness into light. So we pray, Lord, that you would continue to save us out of darkness into light, and that you would change us from having the old hope that some of us once had of going to heaven, and instead, that we would begin to have the hope of being with you forever. And that accompanying that, we would sanctify ourselves, because anyone who has this hope purifies himself as you are pure. But really, Lord, it's you who continually motivates us and empowers us with grace to purify ourselves, mostly because we're so deeply moved that you have had mercy on us so many times and loved us so deeply that we would begin to love you back. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay, so last week we talked about Psalm 84. Um, the theme was the temple. So, the theme was the, the temple and how God's people are like camped around the temple in, or the, the portable temple, the aka the tabernacle in the wilderness. And so the point is, God comes down from heaven and lives with his people, which is like so good of him because we're so unworthy of that. Like on a daily basis. Do I need to adjust the mic? It's okay. Thanks. Good, thank you. So today, we looked at uh, Psalm 84 last time, and we talked about some things that, um, that will keep us from the presence of God. My heart, my pride, and my tongue, my critical spirit and words towards others, right? Today, we're going to look at Psalm 48, which is about the city of the people of God. So if you would, please uh, turn to Psalm 48 in your paper or electronic Bible, because it's better if you're looking at it yourself. You don't have to look at it the whole time. You can read the slides if you want to, but it's nice to have it open in front of you. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion, in the far north, in the city the city of the great king, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress." For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen." In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about, walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Go, consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels. That you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Amen. Okay. So that's a psalm written, you know, what, 25, 2800 or so years ago. And it's about a city. All right. Where's the city? Quick geography lesson. You guys, all know this stuff. So uh, here's here's Asia, here's Europe, here's Africa, and right in between those three continents is the Middle East, right? And in the Middle East, uh, here's it's so hard to do backwards. Here's the Mediterranean Sea in between Europe and Africa, and then right on the edge of the, the shores of the Mediterranean Sea is like Egypt. In the low country, Israel, and then above that, the Lebanon and Syria, and then you got other stuff up there, right? So, what's the capital city of Israel, modern day? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. What was the capital city of, the Isra- of Israel, not during King Saul, but uh, during the second king of, of Israel, uh, David? Hebron, and then? After Hebron, Jerusalem. Yeah, and until the fall of the nation of Israel, um, what was the capital city? Jerusalem. All right, and what? What? Um, so, if you go to Jerusalem, it's it's in this little country, Israel, right in between these continents, kind of crossroads of civilization. There, uh, a central, you know, a significant uh, geography in the history of uh, that hemisphere. And Jerusalem itself is up in the mountains, it's surrounded by mountains, it's in the mountains, it's on a mountain. So here's this psalm, and for us, far removed from the ancient world, is, is this psalm any good for us? And if, like raise your hand if you recognize this psalm. Like half, us. great, that's good, so, so one might have thought that there are approximately three verses in this psalm that are relevant to us today. The first, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and then just cut off in the city of our God, because that city is long ago and far away, sort of, right? And then verse nine, We have thought on your steadfast love, O God. We have, that's relevant. In the midst of your temple, cut that off, there's no temple. Okay, and then go to the end. Um, Our God forever and ever, this is our God forever and ever, he will guide us forever. True for Christians today? Yes. Okay. What else can we get out of this psalm? It's about a city that's been wasted and like temple, walls, buildings, people killed, deported... Civilizations have come and gone. You know, during the Crusades it changed hands, it changed hands after that. Um, now you've got like this Muslim temple right where the Jewish temple used to be. Like, things aren't looking too good for Jerusalem and they haven't for a long time. Um, the city actually doesn't even really have walls. I mean, they've kind of dug up some of the old walls and you've got a little bit of wall you can go stand next to and pray against and stuff, but like. So, it doesn't have citadels. It doesn't have ramparts, like, it's not a castle. Castles became outdated with the invention of the cannon, right? Cannons shoot this big hunk of metal, and it smashes through walls and battlements and, and, and ramparts. So in the ancient world, the biggest, best castle could be taken if you had, like, enough months or years and enough shields to cover your guys, your construction team, while they built a giant ramp. They just put like buckets and truckloads before they had trucks of dirt there, and they finally built a ramp high enough to, as high as the wall of the castle, or maybe you could make this giant like thing on wheels out of wood if you had enough trees in the area, and you could put some guys in it, and it could go up and it could drop down its little ramp, and then while the archers are shooting at it, and while they're trying to dump hot oil and throw rocks on you, the guys could come across, like. They made cannons, like all these walls and ramparts and citadels. It's really outdated. Like, we've got laser-guided missiles. So, what's in this for me? Well, let's, let's assume it's a little outdated, and let's go back and get what we can out of it. And then we'll move forward from there. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. So let's go back in time to the sons of Korah that wrote this. They saw the city, they saw God do wonders. They watched an army, like like gathered armies, come to lay seeds to the city like many kings have done to many cities. And they saw the city and a supernatural terror from God made them nauseous with fear. Have you ever been so afraid you got nauseous or you threw up? Yeah, right. So so God did miraculous wonders to defend the people of this city. And, And the people writing this Psalm had either seen that or read about it and seen it. And it made them worship the Lord because God was in this city God had made his residence there to dwell, to make his name known. Out of there went like priests who went throughout the land, like David and some of the other kings of ancient Israel actually sent priests, let's say AKA pastors for analogy. They sent priests throughout the whole rest of the country and beyond to preach and teach the gospel. Prophets went even beyond that, right? And they carried the words of God and the history of the mighty deeds of God and civilizations to the world, not just to their nation. Like, praise God, the law was like going out. Like, God is good, God is great. And other peoples were welcomed in to, to this nation and to this city. Things were good. And then the city developed over many generations this reputation of, in the words of God and one of the prophets, uh, of, of a rebellious city. So when this says, um, this says, think about her ramparts and her citadels that you may tell the next generation, God is here, he'll guide us forever. What, how did the generations of people after the sons of Korah that wrote this psalm think about this psalm? They probably read it in bald they probably read it and they're like, I wish we still had that city. I wish it hadn't been destroyed. And they, like every generation of Christians, ask themselves, where is God now? Is there hope for us? Are we cut off from God? Like, can God save me? Because we have many enemies from my flesh, which is exceedingly tricky and, and wicked, Uh, and would ruin me, to demons that are invisible, that add to my own internal temptations, to actual people, uh, individuals, and nations, you know, from bandits to tyrants, who would destroy me, and, you know, burn churches, and wipe out civilizations that are, you know, Christianized. And that has been, many tribulations have come upon God's people, and what do we do when there's just ancient ruins and we're like, can, can these bones live? Like, can, can Jesus rebuild these ancient ruins? Can Jesus, like, like, like even the foundations are ripped apart? Maybe. So these are the kinds of questions that our spiritual ancestors, saints of old, have wrestled with as they read this psalm. Because they're like, there are no ramparts. There are no citadels. The state of the church in the world isn't like, God's people aren't glorified very much right now, we sometimes think. And that's true of ourselves often. Verse 9, we have thought on your steadfast love. So there's a clue for how we're gonna understand this psalm. God's love is steadfast, even though like this city didn't last, actually it got destroyed and rebuilt many times. Let's look at a couple more verses, and then let's say what Jesus says about this psalm, because he will give us the key to interpreting this and show us how deeply relevant it was not only to all the saints of all generations, but to us today. Um, verse, uh, verse two, uh, the city of our God, his holy mountain, so Jerusalem's built on a mountain, beautiful in elevation, so it's like literally physically high and lifted up, and you can see it from a long ways away like people would come on pilgrimage to it and they'd sing songs while they were ascending the hill of the Lord. Mount Zion in the far north. The Hebrew there literally reads Mount Zion beyond Zaphon. Has anybody ever heard of Zaphon? No hands. So um, in Greek mythology, in the Greek pantheon, who's the boss of the gods? Zeus, and where does Zeus live? Mount Olympus, Mount Olympus. where's that? Greece. Greece, I guess. I think it's a real mountain in Greece, right? So um, what about before the Greeks, uh, another uh, polytheistic pagan civilization, the, the Canaanites, they lived, they lived here before, uh, before the Israelites, and in fact, uh, Jebus, the old-fashioned uh, name for Jerusalem, uh, before it became uh, Jerusalem, like the city of peace, you know, the city of God, Mount Zion, before any temple or, uh, or temple was built there, or there was any kind of Christianization of, of the city. David um, was the, the guy that uh, led some of his commandos in to capture it. It's a pretty cool story, if you like military history, you know, they're like bragging, it was such a cool fortress, it was such a buff fortress, that it was really impregnable, that's what they said, and they're like, even if you guys were all crippled and disabled and sick, um, or even if all of us were, we could still defend our fortress, uh, Jebus, against you, right? And David is like, all right, all right. So he took his commandos, and they went up through the water shaft into the city, and they took it because the zeal and the strength of God was with them. And he made it his capital. And, uh, and it was Jerusalem. They built it up. It got citadels, it got towers, it got ramparts and walls. And people who saw that thought to themselves, wow, only God could do this. God has truly brought strength and peace and defense to his people. Um, in fact, Jerusalem became exalted above the Canaanite gods. The Canaanites, like the Greeks, had a pantheon too. Pantheon means all the gods, right? You know, so they believed in a whole bunch of them. Who was the king of the Canaanite gods? Has anybody heard of El? It means God. Uh, he, was the, he was the boss of the Canaanite pantheon. Anybody know where he lived? Mount Zephon. There's this mountain in Syria just north of Israel, and uh, what's it called? Mount Zephon, Mount yeah. And, and El, the boss of the Canaanite gods, lived on it. Well, the one who wrote this psalm is like, actually, God's boss of y'all's gods and it's proven because God gave us strength to take this city. And up there, you know, so many miles north in Syria, there's, there's Mount Zaphon, and, you know, your god El lives there. Well, beyond Mount Zaphon is Mount Zion. It's bigger and better, and God, the God of gods, lives in it. The king of kings is king. So, you might have noticed in... Uh, in uh, verse 2, it says, Mount Zion in the far north or beyond Zaphon, the city of the great king. The word king, is it lowercase or capitalized? Okay, so we're not talking about David or his son Solomon that also lived there and made it like an even more glorious and rich city. Um, like So this is a clue. God is the king. Now, what are Citadels fortress cities or like towers within a fortress city right so if you're scared if you're under siege let's say the enemy breaks through the walls where do you go you go to the stronghold in the middle of the city uh, or you go to the citadel and you climb up and and like you just shut the door like like god is a strong tower so a clue to interpreting this psalm, that it's not so much about the city. The city was very strong and had like, like strong defenses, but within her citadels, God has revealed himself, I'm your fortress. I'm your refuge. I'm your strong tower. That's applicable to all Christians through all time. It is God who defended them from the besieging armies. Notice it doesn't say the kings assembled together, they brought their siege works and their ramps and their arrows and spears, and, 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 then, and then they tried to attack, but our archers got some of them and we threw some rocks on them and then they eventually ran out of food and water because they hadn't planned for such a long siege and they gave up and they went back to you know, Syria and Zephon in the in the north there. No, it says they got close to the city and a supernatural terror from God came upon their enemies. And that's one thing that you in your Christian life can be praying for occasionally, because that's something that the Lord periodically brings upon uh, those who would destroy us, like especially demons. And, And there have been many times that many people wanted to harm a Christian and God made them afraid and they turned away. You can see that many times in scripture. God himself, God made himself known as the fortress. They recognize the presence of God. Verses four through seven are about outsiders who get close to the city and they discern, they supernaturally discern the presence of God in this city and among this people and the fear of God is in them, and they are dismayed. Verse seven: By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. So, um, so like uh, there, you know, there were. This is like on the Mediterranean Sea. There, they built ships for and fleets for trading and amassing wealth. There were warships too. Like all God had to do was command the wind to like send a squall, and ships are capsized and the wealth and the strength of the nations that would have come against God's people were overturned. Verse eight, as we have heard, like they'd all read the Pentateuch, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. So there's our question again, what about that city? It doesn't seem very well established. The population of Jerusalem nowadays is, not, uh, is pretty low percentage Christian. like there's no temple of God there. like So, so that raises a question that we're going to answer. Verses, um, verses nine through 13 and 14 show another perspective that when people were in and members of this city when they saw how God had built it up and God had kept it safe from its enemies. That they discerned the presence of God and they, and they worshiped God. So you have these chunks of, this chunk of verses where people discern the presence of God and they feared the Lord. And then you have the next verses where people discern the presence of God and they worshiped the Lord, and they told the next generation it spurred, because they, they, they had tasted the presence of God, it led them to evangelism. They told the next generation, they discipled their children, they started youth groups and, and fellowships and synagogues, and they told the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. Wait a second. This is God. It's just talking about like a fortress city. Are they like worshiping their city? Said this is God. No. They're saying that when they look at. God's people gathered in his name. They discern. That God is in their midst. And that only God could gather such a weak people. And a helpless people. Who had no name and reputation in the earth. And. And and gather them into a city and make them glorious. And he himself is their defense and help and strength. So this Psalm is relevant for us, but wait, remember when Jesus said to his disciples, in Matthew chapter five, you are the light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Raise your hand if you've ever read that verse and been like, okay, God is saying, I'm the light of the world, so I'm not actually like a lamp or a torch. Like, I'm not like a stick of wood that's on fire. Okay, so this is figurative, okay? Sometimes we're a little overly literal, and and sometimes we miss biblical imagery and themes. And this theme is about the people of God, not the buildings on the mountain. So raise your hand if you've read... Matthew 5, 14, you've, like where Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And you thought, oh, like I'm not a torch with, that's on fire. I'm also not a city on a hill. So that must be an analogy too. Um, have you ever thought that? And thought technically, yeah, okay, if there's a city and it's on a hill, I'm picturing that. Um, no, everybody can see it. So therefore, Jesus must mean, um, everybody can see me, everybody's watching, I better have a good Christian testimony, you know, and, and God's gonna make sure I do, you know? Is that what some of you guys have taken away from that verse before? I'll raise my hand. The theme of the city of God. It's a word picture, and Jesus didn't say, and by the way, this is just an analogy, He actually assumed that the disciples understood the theme of the city of God all through scripture when he said that. He wasn't saying you're like a city set on a hill. He's saying you, the apostles built on the foundation of the prophets and all the church that will be built further after you on the foundation of the prophets and on you the apostles. Jesus knew that they understood the scripture well enough that when they heard him say, a city sat on a hill cannot be hidden, he knew that they understood the theme of the kingdom of God well enough that they understood that we are the city and we are on the hill. And to the degree that they didn't understand it, he illuminated that to him uh, by the Holy Spirit because they didn't really understand the theme of the kingdom of God very well, but they got it. They got the, the city-on-a-hill imagery. Where else, do you remember in our study on the book of Daniel, um, there's like this rock that hits a statue and the rock grows? Like rocks don't grow by normal chemical processes. All right, um, flip over to Daniel chapter three. Nebuchadnezzar, our buddy, has this dream and in it, there's this statue. It's made of metal, a few different metals. And, uh, and this rock is cut out. How do you cut out a rock? Old days, hammers, chisels, back-breaking work. Nowadays, like rock saws on big you know, machinery. Um, so, but, but it wasn't cut out by human hands. So it gets cut out. But how do you cut out a rock without human hands, surely it was the hand of God. So there's this rock, and the rock hits the statue on its feet, and the statue explodes, and then what happens to the rock? It It became a mountain. So the rock gets bigger and bigger. It's a big boulder. Now it's a huge rock the size of your neighborhood. Now it's a rock as big as your state, and you might think, well, that would change the gravitational balance of the earth. Now it's a mountain, and it fills the whole earth. So that's figurative language. But there's this theme in the scripture that we've touched on before. This mountain will fill the earth. So what is the rock? What does Hebrews say the rock that followed the people of Israel in the wilderness is? Christ. Christ. Right? And Jesus says, anyone who falls on this rock will be smashed, broken. And anyone on whom this rock falls will be crushed, right? So there's a lot of breaking going on here. So let's say the rock falls on you because you're of the empires and kingdom of man. We're gonna say the city of man as opposed to the city of God. Like crunch, that's the end of you, and y'all's city. Now let's say you fall on that rock which is Christ, and what's gonna happen to you? You're gonna be broken. If you become a Christian, you have been broken, and you'll be broken more. Welcome to the Christian life, praise God. But where did you land? You landed on this rock, and that rock was Christ. Yeah. And now the rock's getting bigger, And you have been joined with Christ. And you are living stones. And Christ is building you up or edifying you. And the Holy Spirit has poured out spiritual gifts on each of us. Not so much for ourselves, but for the sake of each other. So that we can build each other up, aka edify each other. An edifice is a building. So we're making each other into a bigger, better, more beautiful building. And like iron sharpens iron. You know, sometimes we... uh, there's some smashing against each other. Um, but as we uh, find ourselves resting on the firm foundation of the rock of Christ, he is the mountain, and we are the city set on a hill. Turn to, or you don't have to turn there. Hebrews 12.22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Stop. Stop. Raise your hand if you read that and you thought, new heavenly Jerusalem. Okay, so there's another Jerusalem. There's like Jerusalem. It's in between Europe and Asia and Africa. It's right there in the Middle East. It's up in the mountains. It's on the mountains. I guess there's another Jerusalem, but it's in heaven. Has anybody ever thought that? Guilty. Uh, so Revelation 21.2 says and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Raise your hand if you've ever read that and thought the Apostle John was there on the island of Patmos in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he saw in his visions of, uh, of the future that someday in the future, like, God's gonna do away with the old heaven, the old earth, and the old city, Jerusalem, there on Mount Zion in the Middle East, and there's this new city, and it's gonna descend from heaven, hopefully slowly, and it's gonna rest, and by the power of God, it's not gonna, like, break when it lands. It'll somehow be, like, a perfect puzzle piece fit, and, like, God forbid, we are in the old Jerusalem, and and it comes down, well, no, because the rapture will take us up, so there will only be non-Christians there, and... And so the new Jerusalem is a com- gonna come down and, and then like Christians will live there and I have. Right. So we're continuously on a journey to understand the scripture and uh, studying it and the Holy Spirit will, will help us there and we'll always have more to learn and uh, we'll have lots of bad theology um, and we still do. And good theology is uh, is God is in our midst, and only He can save us day by day, and only He can make us into a glorious city that has any kind of light coming out of us. But what does Jesus say? He says, "You are the light of the world." Not like there's a lot of pretty good people in the world, and a lot of pretty bad people in the world, and a few really evil ones, and. And, and your light is even brighter than like the most moral people out there. He says, you are the light of the world. And he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Praise God. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Raise your hand if you've read that and thought, okay, I need to be more open about my Christian witness and evangelize a little more. You understood then this much of the truth of that. But it's like, what makes us the light of the world? Him. He is the light in us. Like, I loved darkness rather than the light, it says in the Gospel of John. And Paul says, like, uh, I am the chief of sinners. He says, I know that there's nothing good that, like, lives in me, that originates from my being, just me, God aside, like, And then he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, I think in his letter to Timothy. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am like the 14th worst, but Stalin and Hitler are below me, Uh, King (laughs) Belshazzar is below me. I did persecute Christians, but you know, so I got really low down the ranks of the millions and now billions of people. No, he's saying, I'm discipling you, Timothy, and I want you to disciple everybody in your congregation and make this your creed. I want you guys to like, recite this creed and say, you know, stand up on Sunday mornings or something, and you say, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He's telling them that this is your motto now. This is your creed. So there's no light that came out of me. Even after I'm saved, there's still no light that comes out of me. Even though I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, and Christ is fully integrated with me and fully revealed in our midst when we gather in his name, such that when people see the assembled church, they actually supernaturally discern, wow, I just saw God. Only God can do that. So what does it mean when he says, I saw the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven, from my God out of heaven? It already has, and it still is. What does Paul mean when he says, you are citizens of heaven? What does it mean when it says he's raised us up and seated us in the heavenlies? What does it mean that we reign both in life and in death? It doesn't mean that because, like I was taught, that because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, therefore it's illogical that the bowls of wrath poured out in the book of Revelation someday would come on Christians, because that can't be, because there's no condemnation for those who believe in Christ Jesus. So God is good, therefore he must take his people completely out of the world, so there must be a rapture, because this great tribulation is a tribulation of judgment on like, the enemies of God, and we're not his enemies, we're his friends, so there must be a rapture. So we'll, I guess we'll be in heaven with him And then at the second coming he'll just bring us back and in the meantime some other people will convert to Christ. No. The city of God will be established and has been established forever and ever. It won't pass away. Jerusalem has passed away many times. And you might say, well it was rebuilt and it'll rise again. So I think by now we've looked at enough verses in the New Testament to overturn that old way of thinking that some of us had, that we are the city of God. Can we accept that? There's no buildings coming down out of heaven that are gonna like go crunch somewhere in the Middle East. Like They're not gonna rebuild the temple and then we'll go there to worship God again. That would be a cult. That actually might happen. Then. I think it's highly likely they'll rebuild the temple there and I don't want any part of it and I'm not giving money. Um, and God will be good to Israel. God will be good to the Jewish people because God is good and because uh, God specially called them and, uh, and, and many were cut off and many were grafted in and that's us. And I think he'll, he'll still be good to Jewish people by calling many of them back in. So, when he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, we said, is that a call to me, like kind of witnessing harder? Yes, absolutely. But it's a call to witnessing harder to the gospel. And the real gospel is that God has been merciful to me, mourning. After morning, after morning, when the night before I proved myself totally unworthy of the call of God on my life. And God loves you. God has loved me with an everlasting love. And he has delighted in me. And he's made me belong in this people, this church. He's actually built us together like a city. And God is drawing you to be a part of this city too. And... The mountains getting bigger, and in Revelation 22, uh, the city, the New Jerusalem that came out to heaven, out of heaven, this angel comes down and measures it, and it's like he's got the measuring rod, and it comes out to like 1,800 miles by 1,800 miles, you know, by how it measures the height. So I guess like all the buildings are the same height, 1,800 miles. What's the tallest building in the world? The Burj Khalifa. How tall is it? It's not 1,800 miles. That's that's what we're looking for. So isn't it like like almost a mile or something? So um, so are they going to invent better steel so that we can get taller buildings? Because you know before they invented like good carbon steel or something like that, you know there were no uh, skyscrapers. They could only get buildings uh, made with brick and mortar up. You know and, and iron. Uh, up to like a certain number of stories before they were at risk of collapsing, and then they started building skyscrapers during the Industrial Revolution, no. Although I used to think that about this city. Like somehow God's gonna make it happen. The point is, it's grown it got bigger, the mountain got bigger, because God revealed his eternal bigness to everybody in the whole planet so that every country in the world can see it and they can't deny it. And even though the Christian, the, the Christian church, the people of God through the ages is like this ramshackle, multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic, like multi-factional even, uh, a diverse group of people who, in the words of the Proverbs, um, fall on our face seven times. It says, the righteous man, and say the righteous man is righteous, it says the righteous man falls, thunk, and again, thunk, and again, thunk, 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 seven, and he gets back up. Yeah, seven times seven, 70 times seven. It's, it doesn't end. We, we are completely... Uh, unable to do anything except that we're connected, like receiving life-giving life support from the vine. Apart from him, we could do nothing. So as we come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, and a city, at least back in the day, is built of stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood so there's no longer like the, the leader, leadership and the laity you're all you're all ordained you're you're all a holy priesthood but you do have shepherds to to be a holy priesthood and just stop there like like that God would call me holy after what I was thinking this morning praise god that God would call me holy after what was on my mind last night it's the mercy of God i discern the presence of God in me and the eternal affection and favor of God on his people such that somehow some way i'm not cut off and i worship him who became who who knew no sin but who became sin for me And who is powerful enough to, in the words of Psalm 50, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. So we skip two psalms ahead. Here's another psalm. It's like Zion, (coughs) Jerusalem. It's like the perfection of beauty. It's like the perfect city. Well, not really. They were called the rebellious city. So what is it? It's the people of God. So let's just say, out of the people of God, out of the church, the perfection of beauty God shines forth. I don't know about you, but I'm not the perfection of beauty inside or out or anywhere in between. Never have been, never will be. Well, I I will be perfected as we all will be. Even our bodies will be raised and glorified and changed from what they were into new bodies. But what's the point here? The point is Revelation 21-2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Two weeks ago I was talking to an unnamed brother and, uh, and he said when my wife was coming down the aisle to me on our wedding day, I realized she is the most beautiful woman in the world. And that's the picture here. Those are good words to describe how the Lord views you, O saints. O saints of the Most High God. The wedding garments that the New Jerusalem is clothed with, so New Jerusalem is a nickname for us, we're, we're from God, we're not from the city of Man. There, a theme in, the Revelation, in Revelation is that there are two cities. There's this New Jerusalem, And it's saying, this is your identity. You are a beautiful city, and your foundations are like gemstones. And the gates in the city, they're like giant pearls. These are the evangelists and pastors and shepherds and teachers and well everybody's a priest, so everybody is like a, a pearl and a and a and you're the people who the saints who came before you have been sanctified like only God can do. And even Paul, this chief of sinners, was so wonderfully sanctified by the Spirit and by the Word, and in the community of Christians that he became one of the gemstones. That is the foundation on which we are built. He is able to keep you from falling. He is able to sanctify you through and through. So this psalm, like Jesus' interpretation and uh, command in Matthew 5 your light of the world a city set on a hill cannot be hidden so let your light shine it's, it's saying this is your identity you are together because a city isn't like it's, you're one, we're one people it's, it's just a fact like racial reconciliation has been achieved if you're a Christian and it'll never be achieved nor will any nor will the right kinds of reconciliation be achieved and last if you're not a Christian um so, so it's your identity. You are this beautiful and strong city, but it's not like how nice our buildings get and how sanctified we get. It's really the, Lord is, the Lord's righteousness is the righteousness that we wear. We are still like Adam and Eve, uh, like they were naked and unclothed, but it's still the, the clothes of the slaughtered lamb or the righteous garments that the, you know they killed a, 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 ram, a, a an animal and clothed them with it. We're still you fast forward from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and in Revelation 21, we're dressed like a bride, beautifully prepared for her husband. So that's both a statement: this is our identity. Psalm 48, Matthew 5, Revelation 21 and 22, and it's a call. It's a call that. Um, that since then this is who you are, uh, walk as children of light. It's the call to live a holy life and it's the promise that he is able to keep us in his hand and that no one can take us out of his hand. It's a call we are a holy priesthood, and it's a call to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And part of that is by doing the good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. And part of that is by loving one another deeply from a pure heart, and letting love cover over a multitude of sins. And that is his sanctifying work among us. And the church will fill the world. And even though we will go through many great tribulations. He promised, like in this world you will have trouble and tribulation. And anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But the promise is I'm gonna if you endure, I'm gonna make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Revelation three. Does that mean God's gonna turn you into a rock? You're gonna be like Lot's wife. No. No. No, it says you're not just like somewhere out there in the wall of the city, like like you're a pillar in the temple. The church is the pillar in the ground of truth. Like the next generation of Christians will be built on pillars and foundations. And that's those who discipled us and came before us. And that's and that's you and those who you will disciple. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's both our identity. And a command to, because he has made us holy, to zealously repent. Amen.